Hi, I'm Lori, and I want to welcome you to the Awakening Moments podcast. And I'm Rhonda. Lori and I are pastors here in Ottawa, Canada, and we're both wives, moms, and most importantly, daughters and servants of God. And it's our hope and prayer that you would have awakening moments with us as we wrestle through the hard things in life. Lori and I love that we can share our lives with you, so grab your tea or coffee and let's awaken our hearts together. Hey, listen, it's almost the end of the conference. Can you believe it? Hey, hold on. Oops. That's, it's not broken. We're fine. We're fine. My husband won't kill me. Um, listen, this conference would not have happened. I know I'm sure she's going to thank a whole bunch of people. Um, but Lori is like the best of the best of the best. You need to know that. I think they know that. I think they know that. Yeah, come on. Come on. Seriously. Anyway, I feel like I could say a million things just about just her character and her heart for you and everything, but uh, I don't have very much time. So I'm going to have to, I'm just going to have to say thank you and Rhonda and Hannah and the whole rest of the team. You guys are like fantastic. So man, okay, um, we're just going to skip right into it because uh, it's almost time to go. Are you ready? Okay, I'm like, I'm honestly about to like hit the gas here. So like... Like, I, I need to make sure that you're bracing yourself. Like, you know when you're in the car and someone hits the gas and you're like, whoa, here we go. That's about to happen, okay? So I want you to hold on, get ready. You need notebooks, take them out. You need to, like, like rev yourself up a little bit, turn up your hearing aid, whatever you need to do. Let's go, okay? Like, we're, we are ready. We are ready to go. Um, are you ready? I got, I, seriously, I, I, I have to warn you of this. Sometimes I listen to my podcast on double speed, um, and so... Like, if, if I'm listening to a podcast and then I turn it off, I, like, I can't stop my brain from moving that fast. And so sometimes the words just come out really fast. So you're just going to have to keep up, okay? You're going to listen to this recording and have to turn it down to, like, half speed. Like, we finally caught what she was saying. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this. You may know it. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, I don't know about you, but I feel like for the last five years of my life as I go through and I think about some of the things that have been happening in my life on paper when I write it down and I just like like think about just everything the whole everything that's gone through it doesn't make sense like in just the natural realm it's like how how does like so many things that weren't 
supposed to turn out that way? Do they really turn out that way for one person? Like, it's just like diagnosis after disappointment, after, you know, this going wrong and something else going wrong. And then you think you catch a break and something else goes wrong. I, I honestly have just come to realize that I am not fighting against flesh and blood. That there is an enemy who would like to take me out if he could. Because I really believe that he's sitting, shaking in his boots going, I got to stop Kim Moran somehow. And I believe for your life the same thing. That, that there is an enemy that every time he sees you take a step forward in your walk with God, every time you take a step forward in, in moving forward the kingdom of God, he's like, oh, how do I stop her? And listen, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. On one end of the spectrum, there's people who everything is spiritual. Seriously, you feel like you went to Tim Hortons, got a burnt bagel, and you're like, the devil's out to get me today. Like, bagel's burnt. Like, I don't know, they forgot my extra whip on my mocha something. Like, the devil's out to get me today. And it's just like every single thing in your life is spiritual. And it's just like you live in this realm where, like, listen, sometimes somebody just turns up the toaster like sometimes a person just forgot to put whipped cream on like the devil is not always out to get although I know it feels like it if you miss your whip <laughs> the devil's not always out to get you that's not always what's happened but sometimes we can like overemphasize it and we live over here but equally as detrimental to our faith is if we go in this camp over here and it's like ah uh, nothing's spiritual everything is just a consequence of our behavior everything is just you know whatever and, and to think that there's not some realm some like some spiritual realm where things are happening and C.S. Lewis identifies, he says, you have to find yourself like somewhere in the middle where you realize that like our human impact and our human actions can have an impact on things. But at the same time, we are living on an earthly realm here. And there are like our battle is not just against flesh and blood. Although there may be a flesh and blood person who irritates you or frustrates you or hurts you or might try and take you out. There is a bigger battle going on in the heavenly realm and we need to understand what that looks like. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said that. He said, the thief, it comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion searching for someone to devour. The enemy is out to get you and he wants to ruin all the good that God has done in your life. Every time you take a step forward in your past, every time you try to take a step forward with God, have you noticed that the enemy just tries to get in and like mess things up a little bit? Every time you take ground, this is why you come to a conference like this and you go home after and something happens, you get in a fight with someone or you get hit by someone in a car on your way home or, you know, somebody steals your cell phone or like all these different things because it's like the enemy would like nothing more. The enemy would like nothing more than to steal the progress that you've made this weekend in your life. To stand up against the enemy, we have to get ready. We have to choose daily to put our armor on. Because I feel like in my life I've been like, okay, God, that's really great that there's like a spiritual battle going on. Like that's so nice that the enemy's thinking about me all the time. What am I supposed to do about it? 
Like, how am I supposed to, what, what am I supposed to do? What does it look like to fight back? And Paul gives us just a, a rundown here. He says, listen, your only defense, if the enemy is out and he's trying to fight you and he's trying to take you out, your only defense is to put on the armor. And so Paul begins to describe the armor here. And he, he would be very familiar as a Roman citizen and someone growing up in this part of the world. Like, he would have seen Roman soldiers on a regular basis. So as he's describing this armor, he's likely thinking about what a soldier would wear and how they would get dressed and how they would get ready. The first item that he describes here is the belt. He says the belt is a belt of truth. Now, the, you have to understand something. For we as, as women, as we get dressed and as we put things on, we like, you know, put on our pants and we put our shirt on and we get all ready to go. And often the belt is the accessory that we add on at the very end, right? Once, once we're like figuring out, you know, okay, do I need, are my pants going to fall down here? Do I need, a, need to put a belt on? Or, you know, if something might look cute with the shoes we're wearing or something, that's like way out of my realm of understanding. But I think that's something people do. Uh, so I, I need to ask one of the fashion people over here. Yeah. Um, but seriously, like, like the belt is what for us, what we would put on last but not for a Roman soldier. The belt was actually the thing that they would put on first. And so it's intentional why Paul lists the belt first. He actually, like, the, in that day and age, you've probably seen some of the Jesus movies and you've seen the things that they're wearing, like, longer, like, robe. They're not wearing pants like I'm wearing today. They're wearing, like, kind of a robe. And in order to get ready for battle, they would first need to, like, gather some of that fabric in the dress, basically, that they're wearing. Uh, it's like a, a nice formal outfit. Uh, they, like, grab it all around their waist and they would have to pull it up and strap it. And that's where that phrase, gird your loins, and some of your translations may actually say that phrase, gird your loins, that's where it comes from. It's like, okay, tie yourself all up, get your little belt on, get your loins girded all together, and put it all together. I don't know why that's so funny. Why is that so funny? <laughs> they'd put the belt on, they'd tie it around their waist, they'd get everything ready, and the belt was meant to like be the foundational element. That's so much of the other, once they put the breastplate on, the breastplate would secure onto the belt so it didn't like jiggle around and move, it would like stay secure. And then their like sheath that they would put the sword thing in, that would like attach to their belt too. And it would be like a foundational element that everything else would hinge into that was like the important. So the fact that Paul calls this the belt of truth is actually a really important thing. See, the truth needs to be the foundation of our defense against the enemy. When the enemy's coming to get you and he's coming after you, he's going to try and convince you all kinds of things aren't true. He's going to lie to you and try and tell you are something, you're not something else. And we need to recognize what is the truth so that we're prepared for what it is that he's trying to do to take us out. Satan is the father of lies. His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has done in your life. Jesus said in John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the only way to combat a lie in our lives is with the truth. The only way that you can even recognize what's a lie and how the enemy's trying to lie. And this is the thing I hate about He often uses like half-truths. But a half-truth is still a lie. And he'll say something that we're like, oh, that is true. It's like, it's like you failed that test, so you're stupid. And it's like, that, that, might, be, that might be like a half-truth. Like you did fail the test. That's half the truth. But that doesn't mean that you're stupid. It might mean you didn't study, Right? And so it's like he often uses things like that to try and convince us and to, to try and get in our heads. But we need to know the truth. 
So what is the truth? John 8, 32 says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the enemy might try and convince you that you deserve what happened to you, that you'll always go back to the way you used to be, that you feel lonely because nobody really loves you, that you aren't okay the way that God made you, that you nobody else has gone through what you've gone through. He uses all these different tactics and all these different things to try sideline us so that we feel shame, so that we sit back and just shrink back away from things, so that we don't move forward so that we don't take more ground for the kingdom that's his his like his full strategy is to just try and sideline you so I honestly take it as a compliment that my life has been challenging at times I'm like yeah that's right I'm a threat to the kingdom or to his kingdom I'm a threat to hell like that that's right the enemy the enemy wants to stop me because I keep stealing his people (laughs) right Like the enemy is trying to silence me because when people go from hell to heaven, his army gets smaller and God gets bigger. Like that's why he's trying to stop me. If he can stop you, he will. We have to first start with the belt of truth. You have to hold on to the truth that it's Jesus, the truth that is Jesus, to stand firm in what you've heard, what you've read, and what you've experienced belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate goes on the front. It protects your internal organs and your life source. So everything that's inside of here, that's like your heart, lungs, come on, help me out, stomach, kidneys, liver, spleen, all these important things, right? Like, like these are all the things that are essential to keep our body functioning and keep it moving and keeping life going inside our body. So we need to wear the breastplate because we have to prevent it. It's why people who are on the front lines wear like bulletproof vests and things because they realize that like, okay, I get shot in the arm, maybe I can recover that. Shot in the heart, not so much, <laughs> right? It's why we have to wear protection. It's the same thing for the armor of God. He says you have to put on the breastplate. You have to protect your life source or you will die. So why does Paul refer to the breastplate as righteousness? Because choosing to live a right life, which is what righteousness is, is living right, choosing to live a right life, will protect us from dying spiritually. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you can resist the devil and the things he's trying to tempt you with and the things he's trying to sidetrack you with, he'll flee from you. When we stop doing what's right, we remove our breastplate and we give the enemy a direct shot at our heart. We reject righteousness when we expose our heart, when we use things like alcohol to calm us down instead of trusting in the peace of God. When we open up intimately to someone who we shouldn't have given that place in our lives, like we leave our, our it's like we remove our breastplate. When, like, this is the reason why there's all these instructions and things in the Bible of like, don't do this, don't do this, stay away from that. Isn't because God wanted to steal all your fun. It's not because he doesn't want you to be able to have a good time and to, you know, be normal and do normal things. The reason why he gives us these guidelines is because he's trying to protect us. 
He knows, he knows that if you go and you give yourself sexually to people who are not like in a long-term relationship like marriage with you, that that's going to give the enemy a shot at your heart to play with your emotions and to play with you. He knows that when you go and you turn to substances or pornography or alcohol to, to feed that like void and that emptiness that you feel in there, when you, you take your, uh, your breastplate off and you, it gives the enemy a shot at your heart to destroy you and to ruin you. Every time we lie to save face, every time we sin and settle for less than God has for us. If you say my relationship with God is kind of dead, then my question for you is, did you remove your breastplate and give the enemy a clear shot at your heart? If you walked into this place this weekend and you felt that, like, I don't know, my relationship with God just feels kind of dead. Is there anything that you did to take off that breastplate? The way that God designed for you to live where you were like submitting fully to his plan and not your own. Where you were saying, God, I want you more than I want anything else. God, I want you to fill all the voids in my life and not something else. But the moment we remove that righteousness, that like living rightly, and we begin to let what we call in the church sin begin to creep in and move into our lives, it gives the enemy a clear shot at our heart. And that's why Paul says, listen, first you need to put on the belt of truth, but the next thing you got to do is you got to change the way you live. You got to readjust your life and serve God and serve him and please him because taking off that breastplate only gives the enemy a shot at your heart. Now this is just a side note, but I want you to notice that Paul only lists here the breastplate as a piece of armor. He doesn't talk about anything being on the back. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because as the army would move forward in battle, they would go towards the enemy this way and they would be walking forward. Very rarely were they walking away from the enemy like this so they didn't have to worry about their back. Their back was exposed to their own team. It was their army, their people who were behind them and their backs. Those were the people who, who they didn't have to be looking over their shoulder and watching what was happening behind them, scared that someone was going to spear them in the back or stab them in the back. They were able to move forward and fight the enemy that was ahead of them and not worry about what was behind because... We are not supposed to be worrying about our own people taking us out. Listen, at the very foundational level here in this room, that means all of us as women. Like, listen, you might have enemies out there, but I pray and I hope that none of them are in this room. Because we need to fight together. We need to move forward as an army, not working, worrying about whether someone's gossiping about us, whether someone's trying to go around and talk to leadership about something we might have said or done. Like, we need to move confidently forward knowing that we're part of an army who has each other's backs. Even in a more general setting outside this room, like I'm so sick of seeing this in the church where I hear churches talk about another church in the city and being like, I don't know. Have you heard that that's how they do things? I don't know. They're all about themselves. They're just always trying to do their own thing. I don't know. Did you hear that when they did baptisms, they did this? Like, what? like these are our people. Like if they're not against us, they're for us. Like honestly, and like Paul addresses this, Jesus addresses it. It's like, like we are all supposed to be we're different denominations if we're all believing the foundational things that Jesus came to save us from our sins and set us free. Listen, I wonder sometimes if the enemy is just like sitting over, like having the time of his life, like he's watching Netflix, just watching it all play out. Like he's not even worried about anyone. He's like, oh, there they are, those Christians killing each other again. This is so easy. Seriously, because he doesn't even have to work. It's like, it's like the army of Gideon. Like, that's how Gideon wins the battle with 300 people is the other army starts just killing each other. 
They just like, they don't even have to do anything. They're just like blowing trumpet. Like they don't even have to do anything. This is the devil's over here. He's like, like not. We're killing ourselves and we got to be careful that we don't do that. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. Now, I grew up in uh, going to church. My parents raised me going to Sunday school. And so I remember learning about the armor of God going to church. How many of you, you remember learning about the armor of God maybe? And I, this is what I remember. I remember them describing as putting on your sneakers. And I just picture them being like sparkly, sequin, embedded sneakers, putting them on. And you put on those sneakers so that you could skip door to door in your neighborhood. And you could knock on doors of everybody around you and say, I just want to tell you about the gospel good news of Jesus. And I came and I need my sneakers and I need my shoes on to do that. But listen to this. Josephus, a first century historian that existed at the time of Paul and at the time of Jesus. He wrote a lot about what was happening just in culture and in government and things. He wasn't a, wasn't a believer, but he still like picked up some of the historical things that were happening that we can like use in our understanding of what was happening in the Bible at the time. Here's what he said about Roman soldier shoes. Are you ready? Shoes thickly studded with sharp nails to ensure a good grip. Listen. This, these gospel shoes apiece, not sparkly sneakers. <laughs> I'm talking like combat boots with like six inch pegs of steel. Like I'm talking like, like you put your boots on and you take your foot and you drive it into the ground. And then you take your other foot and you drive it into the ground. And that allows you to stand secure so that when the enemy's coming at you, your feet aren't slipping in the mud and you're not worried about where you're going. You're secure and you're ready. And the enemy's coming at you and you're like, come on, I'm okay. Come on, take me out. Come on, come on, come at me. Because you're not worried that the enemy's going to take you out. The reason why he calls these shoes of peace is that we can stand firm in the reality that whatever it is that we go through here on this earth, God wins in the end. And even though, listen, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. But I know that I can stand in peace and saying, okay, the enemy might try and use this. He might try and use my health. He might try and use my family. He might set up people against me. But I know that there will come a day where God wins. And I can stand firm in knowing that even though the enemy thinks he has the upper hand, my God is victorious. Romans 16, 20 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We can stand firm in that peace knowing that the battle has been won and Jesus has authority over every circumstance. We have to maintain and stand our ground, ladies. Like we've got to stand firm in that peace knowing that, yeah, things get hard. Life is scary. Things are difficult. But we serve a God who's going to win and get the final say in the end. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, and the shield of faith. Now, again, I'm going to go back to my Sunday school days. I always pictured like a little like circle Captain America, like, you know, like trying to take on. And this little like garbage lid kind of shield that like the soldiers would like go into battle. And it's like ting, ting, ting. Like, you know, they're just like trying to. But that wasn't it. This word, the word for shield is actually related to the Greek word for door. It was a massive, like the size of a door taken off its hinge, like with leather on the front of it, made of wood, soaked in water. And they, the soldiers would pick it up, this heavy piece, and they would carry that forward into battle with them like this. And they would plant their feet in and they would set their shield up and they would, it would, their, their uh, shield would extinguish 
the flames of the enemy. The flamethrower, like, is coming through, hits the shield, falls flat. Doesn't hurt anyone. It's this massive door, this massive piece. And Paul calls this the shield of faith. And he's saying, listen, it's your faith. Like, let that be a shield to what the enemy tries to do. Believe that I can. Believe me for breakthrough. Believe the other side. Believe for the miraculous. Believe that there's going to be a move of God. Believe for that. Stand in faith. But here's what I love the most about the shield of faith is it was never meant, like soldiers never fought in battle in isolation. There would be like a lineup of soldiers who would move forward together move forward together with their shields, and they would stand side by side by side by side with those shields lined up one against another. And then a second lineup of soldiers would come in behind them, and there would be that lineup there, and then they would lift their, their shields higher, and they would create like a fortress with the wall. These big like wooden door-like shields would create a fortress. And this is the thing, like I think Paul had that image in his head when he wrote this, because I don't know about you, but I remember just like a year ago for me being in Africa and feeling stranded and feeling all alone and getting to the point where I was like, I don't know what else to pray. I don't even feel like I have the strength or the energy to ask for another prayer from God. I don't know what to do. And this army rose up. They actually ironically called themselves Ao's army. (laughs) Rose up around the world and people were constantly sending me messages saying, we are praying for you. And I had a couple friends who said, Kim, we know that you feel too weak and just too broken right now to offer more prayers to God. It's okay. You rest. We'll pray. And that's what, that is what community is all about. It's that when you feel like I don't have the strength to hold up my door anymore, someone comes and stands next to you and says, it's okay, we got this. We're going to create a fortress and a shield around you so that the enemy can't get in. See, our faith together makes us so much less vulnerable. You are not meant to live your life as a believer in isolation, on your own, just fighting this one lonely battle. Because you know what? You're doing it on your own and you feel like your faith is tapped out and you just don't know what to pray anymore. And then what? Your shield just falls and you're dead? But not when you've got people around you. That's why you can't just do church sitting at home listening to a podcast. That's why you've got to come and have relationship and be with people. Next is this helmet of salvation. It's designed to protect the head in battle. Protecting the head includes also protecting what's inside the head, the mind. It's handed to the soldier at the end. Their armor bearer would take it and they would hand it. And it was up to them to choose to put it on. It's like, here's the truth. You need to believe it. Here's the instructions for living righteously. Now obey them. Here's the message of peace. Be confident in it. Now here's what you need to believe to allow your mind to be transformed. Now believe it. See, your helmet is being handed to you, and now you need to choose to take ownership over your own mind and accept the salvation you've been giving. Accept the helmet and protect your mind. In my experience, I feel like there are so many believers who've accepted just like the salvation from God where they've said, okay, God, I want to live my life for you. I want to give my life to you, and they want to walk in newness. But they haven't had the ability to translate that from their heart to their mind, and so they're still walking around like people who haven't been saved feeling defeated, feel like they have no hope, feeling like they have no freedom. But listen, my Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's why I think like there's so many people who are sitting begging, asking God, God, please set me free, set me free, set me free, set me free. And if you've already received that like free gift that he has to offer you in your salvation, 
Like, I wonder sometimes if God is saying, if we're just praying these prayers, God, set me free, God, set me free. If he's saying, I already did. All you got to do is walk in it. All you got to do is accept it. Allow your mind and your heart to be transformed. And listen, sometimes that can be a process. I'm not saying that that's a divine thing that just happens for me. Some of you have years and years of just like stuff built up that have your, has your mind working the wrong way and thinking the wrong things. You might need to see a counselor. You might need to walk through freedom sessions. You might need something more than just like turning a switch and flipping your mind. But it's an essential element. If you do not change the way you think, you'll get taken out by a headshot and die. You can do everything else. You can know the truth. You can do what's right. You can have peace. But if you don't change your thoughts, you're toast. Philippians 4, 8 says, you want to be free from worry and anxiety? You want to change your mind? Rejoice. Pray. Think about things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It does not say, think about lies. Think about what's wrong. Think about what's impure. Think about the things that are bad for you, things that you know are garbage for your mind, things that hurt you, things that make you feel alone. It's a hard transition. I get it. But we have to begin to change our mind. That's what it means to not just allow your heart to be changed, but to allow your whole self to be changed to walk in freedom. Lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the only offensive weapon. Without it, we have no way to fight off the enemy when he gets really close to us. If he's managed to get through that line of defense, that initial line of defense, then it's time for us to use our offensive weapon and pull it out and say, all right, time for a dagger to your heart, devil. The word here, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the Bible, the New Testament was originally not written in English. I know that's hard for us Canadians to understand sometimes. English-speaking Canadians to understand sometimes. But... uh, The Bible was originally, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And there are two words that can be translated to word in the Bible. There's the logos word, which is the written word, and the rhema word, which is the spoken word. And here, this word here, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, isn't just referring to the written word like the the Bible. It isn't just that. So it's not just about just like, okay, I'm just going to recite scripture. It says here that that word is the rhema word which is the spoken word, not the written word. It is the same word used in Revelation 12, 11 that says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word, rhema word, of their testimony. It's not us just reading the scriptures. It's us speaking out boldly the message of Jesus. It's speaking out boldly our testimony of the gospel. It's us recognizing that like, wait, I have a story. I really don't believe in the year 2020 that the most effective evangelism strategy is to just go knocking on doors or handing out tracts. I honestly believe that the most effective, and I believe there's a place for that. Uh, There might be some people, I should say, there might be some people who could be impacted by that. But I really believe the most effective evangelism strategy is for you to just begin to share your story and share your life with the people around you. For people to see that when you were diagnosed with cancer, that you still had hope and joy in the midst of that. For people to see you walk through a difficult relationship situation and not badmouth and just talk crap about the person there. Like I believe that the way that people are going to begin to see the, the evidence of God living in our lives is through our testimony. And as we begin to speak that out, Like, I don't think it needs to be, hey, do you know who Jesus is? It needs to be like, hey, look at my life. 
see Jesus alive in me. I wouldn't be who I am without the gospel of Christ. I wouldn't be who I am without his redemptive power. He is the one who sets me free. Your story proclaims the word of God. Your story proclaims that. You might not be reading them scripture and reading them the gospels, but your story communicates the truth that's found in here. So don't be silent. Don't be quiet. Don't feel like you don't have anything to say. Or, I don't know, my story's not as good as your story. I don't really have a testimony. You have a testimony. If you've encountered freedom in Jesus, you have a testimony. Listen, we have to get ready. I think now more than ever, listen, I've been in this room the last three days and God is doing something here. Like the worship and just the depth and the, even just like the way God has been working out emotions and speaking to our hearts, like God is doing something. The women who have been raised up in this place and are like taking on new ground, God is doing something. The enemy is not gonna shrink back now. And so listen, it's go time. Listen, if we're running around playing tag right now, I'm saying you're it. Like it's time. It is time for you to get going. It is time for you to realize like, okay, I've just been called up. I need to get my armor on. I need to, I need to put all my stuff. Like I, I need to get ready. I need to stand firm. I need to be ready to go because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you're missing a piece of this armor, you are incomplete. You need it all to fight against the schemes of the enemy. And together, we're going to defeat that enemy and show him that God's kingdom will move forward here in Ottawa and around the world. Come on. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. It would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Awakening Moments Podcast, and you will find Lori and I at Lori Eitzboucher and Rhonda.Corto. We'd love to connect with you.